Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. Today, we're highlighting some of our recent episodes covering technology and the advice past guests on the show gave on how this area can improve your career and business. Earlier this year, I spoke with Sean Steinsmith, CPA, an assistant professor at Lehman College who also serves on the advisory board of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, about cryptocurrency in the financial space. Sean said he doesn't expect all CPAs to be experts in cryptocurrency, but there are significant career benefits to understanding cryptocurrency and its impact on the profession. And Sean, you mentioned a lot going on right now in the space. What would you say are the uh, kind of the high level things that accounting professionals should, if they're not experts in, should at least be aware of? Sure. I mean, there are a huge number of trends going on out there right now. But a few of the sort of highest profile ones that I would say is that any asset backed coin, right, be it a privately issued uh, stable coin, or, or this idea of a central bank digital currency, basically a cryptocurrency issue governed by a actual government, are going to be the, the easiest ways, right, for merchants, consumers, financial institutions to, um, to actually start to use, try to process, try to interact with different crypto assets in a commercial manner. One. Two. This whole idea of DeFi, right, which is probably the the opposite of a traditional financial institution, right, because it's decentralized finance. But there are major institutional players out there. I would say that Coinbase is probably the most obvious one. That's a real entity publicly traded here that that's actually offering products and services in this exact area. So even though the idea of a DeFi operation is to try to cut out financial institutions in in order to actually get commercial level business to get other entrepreneurs to get business owners involved in this area. There is absolutely going to be a home for traditional uh, players to offer services and to offer different assurances on these different services. And then three, and so. And so this uh, this other area is, is probably more oriented towards a uh, institution that has a wealth management arm or that is just trying to get into that business, trying to expand it, trying to add add some uh, new and different customers. This whole idea of a NFT, right, non-fungible token, it was ultra hot back in March of 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 2021. And it's cooled off a bit in terms of the coverage in the actual headlines. But in terms of the quantity of NFTs being uh, minted and added into the overall ecosystem, it's a huge area. And everybody from athletes to actors to businesses, uh, major uh, uh, franchises, I believe there's a MLB franchise that's currently partnering up to actually produce their own NFTs going forward. It's a real asset class and there are, uh, and, and, uh, and is actual quantitative monetary value in it. 
So for any institution that has or is trying to grow, trying to enter these sort of wealth management arm, or is trying to figure out how to offer a new and creative service to their current clients, NFTs could be a opportunity. And then to uh, sort of wrap up right, some of the high points here, uh, just recently, uh, there have been a handful of actual countries that are planning to or that have actually authorized Bitcoin to be used as legal tender in those actual countries. And so even if your bank right now might not have any customers, any clients, any any partner banks in any of these areas, it is a trend and it is happening. And so as more and more countries adopt Bitcoin or, or, or some other uh, crypto asset as a legal tender option, you know, there are going to be opportunities to offer services to help those customers access the U.S. banking system and to access other products and uh, other services. And Sean, this is a question that, you know, I've asked you over the past couple years, um, jumping in each time as we talked. I'm curious, what questions are um, CPAs, accounting professionals asking you about this space? And do you feel like that those questions have kind of evolved, hopefully indicating that their their knowledge has grown in this area? Absolutely. And probably the top questions that I'm getting now, right, from individuals and from actual firms out there tend to hone in on, okay, fine, how do I handle all of these clients, all these customers that have Bitcoin and other crypto from a tax or other compliance linked uh, angle, right? Because the IRS has has been quite transparent in that trying to collect uh, any taxes linked to gains. And it was a headline that actually uh US taxpayers booked four billion dollars in profits in twenty twenty linked to Bitcoin by itself. So there is quite a bit of agita right now out there as to try to help, right, one, our external clients and two, try to give them the best advice possible to hopefully navigate what's gonna be a pretty uh intense review of these transactions. And then two, <clears throat> um, the other sort of the big area that's, that's sort of only come up, uh, um, I would say during 2020 and the first half or so of, of 2021 is, I'm getting questions now from my external clients that are not crypto native companies about how do I start using crypto for, for payments? How do I integrate blockchain into my operations? And there's a very interesting sort of offshoot to this that the also the U.S. cannabis industry, which is currently sort of quasi legal in some states, but still not at the federal level, is trying to grow, develop and to sort of uh, move up the economic ladder. And there are some options out there that if a firm in the cannabis space wants to use a blockchain and a stable coin based uh, commercial payment system that actually via, via sort of almost a, a backdoor option, they can access banking services. So on the one hand, tax compliance, um, I would say that audit 
is still out there, but it is not as high profile as it has been previously. Now, uh, I would, I would not say that the audit side is not as important. It certainly is, but there has been, uh, really so much attention, uh, paid to Bitcoin and other crypto from a income tax angle during the back half of 2020 and the first half of 2021 that the pivot and the and the sort of shift there has really been towards trying to get a handle on these sort of tax obligations and then on the other hand how to help external clients try to onboard even just a basic way to accept crypto as a form of payments or to help them pay employees suppliers all the rest and then uh one other sort of uh anecdotal point here is that there are now uh, real blockchain uh, crypto hubs right here in the U.S., be it the Wyoming, be it Miami, Florida, be it other areas that are trying to integrate blockchain and crypto into their overall economic plans. I mean, there are certain areas of the country where even though on the surface blockchain and crypto are not headlines uh, every single day, that they are really becoming a integrated part of the overall economic landscape. Some of your clients might love technology. Others might be more hesitant. For Shana Chapman, CPA, founder and chief strategist at Shana Co., some of the rural clients she works with who are successful business owners will only go so far when it comes to upgrading their tech. Shana shares how she works with these clients on meeting them where they're at while also encouraging them to embrace technology advancements. Adapting technology to fit my clients or adapting my clients to fit the technology either way is, is definitely a challenge. Because we are rural A, we don't necessarily have internet. Um, I know people across the country might think that that's odd, or people even in bigger cities in the state of Ohio may think that that is unlikely, but it's true. Not everybody in these rural communities have internet. And, and B, not everybody in the rural communities have cell service. And sometimes they have one and not the other, and sometimes they don't have either one of those two things. And so adapting technology at the pace that the accounting world is adapting it is very difficult for clients. It's not so difficult for me because I have access to both in because I live in a small city while rural that still has those items. But my but my clients don't necessarily have them. And so I try to as much as I can, I'm as forward thinking as I can be. I adapt the latest technology as soon as I can but then getting my clients to take hold of that and adapting it on their end is is challenging. Um, that is not easy to do. And I'm curious, when you mentioned challenging, what are some of the issues that come up with that? Is it just, you know, accessibility or is it people thinking, you know, they don't need it? Both. It's accessibility, but also We've never done it that way before. Why do we need to change? Um, people in rural communities may not have um, grown up with computers as much. It's just not something that they've really needed to do. Um, and so they just don't know how, and they don't see a reason to change it now. Uh, there are certainly a younger clientele who are ready and willing to take on uh, more and more technology. 
But even those that I would say own the bulk of the businesses now in their 30s and 40s, they they didn't necessarily grow up with technology and they don't care about it and don't want to use it. And and people in rural communities are also still used to being very face to face and and talking and seeing each other um, in person. And they don't they don't quite understand the reason why you might want to do a document, e-sign a document, for instance. That's a very simple thing. We can just shoot you over an email, and you can e-sign a document, and we can have it on its way. But that's just not – there's just not good reasons for that for them. They're just as happy to stop in and sign a document. So just even little technologies like that are hard to get them to to adopt, even though – it benefits them in saving time as well as me in saving time. So then to expand that further into the web portals for tax returns or documents, things like that, it's just not something that they see the need to take hold of. It's just not something that they necessarily want. Right. And I can imagine just from some of the examples that you just gave is that this isn't something that just only affects one area. You know, technology is spread out through everything now that the accounting profession does. So is this something that you find that you're regularly having to educate your clients about, or is it more something that you are trying to meet them um, as much as they can with technology and then you you get the rest done, like you mentioned, maybe face-to-face or in, in another way? So certainly at my firm, we do tend to push clients into technology because we love it so much and we see the benefits of it. Um, moving from the tax realm into the accounting realm, something like cloud computing and and helping these small businesses with um, their back-end services, you know, maybe preparing the accounting for them or checking in with them. Um, having a cloud accounting system enables us to have access to their accounting system 24-7, uh, and they don't have to wait for us to show up at their office and look over their accounting. It takes something from being a reactive service, like once a month at the end of the month, we look at your accounting to make sure it's right, to being a proactive service. Technology has that ability to make us go from reactive to proactive. And that is something I'm constantly trying to educate my clients on. This will help you manage your business to become more successful. It's not just about getting the numbers historically, because that's what happens when you're reactive. It's about getting the numbers today, right now, and being able to change on the dime what it, what it is that you want to do to become more successful right this instant. And so I'm constantly trying to educate my clients and, and push them a little bit further and further into that direction. As long as they have the capability, um, the the technology is available where they are, for instance, the Internet, cell, et cetera, to do that. We're pushing them to, to, to do it because it's better for them. Um, but it's not an easy sell, so it takes a lot of education for most clients. Um, that we talk about the time involved, how much easier it is, how much, uh, again, how, how they can make changes instantly. And for us, it's very important to also talk to the client about because it saves time, it gives you back – to, to us, to our firm, this is one of our core beliefs. It gives you back time with your family and your friends and to have an enjoyable life again and not let your business eat up your life. And so those are the types of ways that we try to educate clients. Protecting yourself from online attacks isn't so simple as checking off a box on your to-do list, said Greg Gomack. 
Senior Client Executive at DMC Technology Group and part of Ohio CPA Proud organization, William Vaughn Company. Greg said that protecting yourself and your company from cyber attacks is a journey. It's something that will consistently have to evolve as technology evolves. This might sound exhausting, but Greg said it's essential as attackers get more savvy and persistent. You need to be doing something. Um, anybody nowadays that's just sitting there, not not making advances in their security, um, whether that's doing the simple things like making sure you have computer updates going on, um, you've got good backups, you'd be surprised how many places you run into that don't have a backup going on, um, or you're doing multi-factor authentication if you want to take it a step further. And if you've got all those things, great. Um, you need to be making more steps then. It's it's a journey. It's not just a Band-Aid that you rip off with security. Um, you have to work through a lot of different items to get to your point where you feel secure and you feel safe, but it's never really done. Um, there's a lot of layers to, to uh, having a secure environment, um, but you have to just assume that you're always vulnerable. Um, and it's tough to hear, but there's always something you can be doing more every year to help kind of make yourself feel a little safer, um, have a more secure environment, and just lessen your risk. And I think that's such an interesting perspective, how you mentioned it's a journey, because I wonder if for for certain people in business, if they imagine it, you know, as another thing that they just check off the list and then they can kind of file it away in their mind as something that they've done to protect themselves. But from what you're saying, it sounds like it's something that you should never really completely, you know, relax on or relax about. Right. It's it's technology. It's it's always changing. Um, you know, one month we could have updates that are going great. And then um, two weeks later, you could have a huge vulnerability with every single Windows workstation, which is the print spooler I'm sure people have heard about. Um, and that's not going away. It's it's not an easy solution to solve. So you have to stay on top of this stuff. Otherwise, you're just leaving yourself wide open. Another thing I was curious about was if the pandemic impact, um, the number of attacks of ransomware or the threat of it, if that uh, increased it at all. I think so, um, at least based on what I've seen and been reading. Um, you know, in the United States alone, I think from 2019, um, it's increased over 190 um, percent. I think I read the other day from I think it was a PBS article I read. Um, and then globally over 60%. So it's on the rise um, and they're changing the way that they're doing it. Um, you know, the, in the past it was, we've encrypted your data, pay us. Um, we recently just saw one where it was, we've encrypted your data. We've also stolen all the data that we encrypted. And if you don't pay us, we're going to release it to the internet. Um, that can be a really big deal um, depending on the data that you're holding um, for users or clients or vendors, whatever it might be. Um, even intellectual property, they're talking about releasing at that point. So it's getting even worse than you would imagine at this point um, with what they're doing. So like I said, it's a journey and you have to keep at it. Man, that is incredibly concerning. I've heard um, and read reports before of the, the first example you gave, but not I've not yet read something about the second, which is that they would threaten to release it to everyone. That's crazy. It's it's pretty wild, and it's funny in there. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny. And their little message that they put up, it says that you're you're a client of theirs is how they view it. So oh wow, it's it's, it's an interesting take on things, and I I think that's going to be the way that we see things move because 
A lot of people have backups to get back from things, but what do you do now if they're threatening to release all the items that they have to the internet? It could mean nothing. It might not mean anything to you, um, depending on the files that they are, but some of these larger corporations, or if you have patents or anything like that, um, that's a big deal. Thank you to prior guests for joining us to talk about technology. You can listen to all of these episodes in full at the link in our show notes. What would you like to hear on the podcast? You can always let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. And please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.